in reality, the portfolios of BMW and, and Mercedes-Benz, like the passenger cars, other than badge, they're indistinguishable. They do they have all the same models, they have too many models. And so logically, 20 years from now, BMW and Mercedes-Benz are one company with skateboards. And they're bad, they're just selling, they're just selling bodies on top of these skateboards, and that's it. They should close all the dealerships in Germany, cut the number of factories in half, and then you oh, you want a BMW, you want you want an AMG or an M car? You just order it and the thing shows up. It's the same skateboard. Hello and welcome to the Atonicast. I'm Ed Niedermeyer. I am the Communications Director for Partners for Automated Vehicle Education and the author of Ludicrous, the Unvarnished Story of Tesla Motors. And I'm Alex Roy, the founder of the No Parking Podcast. And I am Damon Labyrinth, uh, one of the original hosts of the Atonicast back in the day and uh, currently looking for a job. <laughs> All right. Well, Alex, Hi, Damon. Messed, Wait, Alex, Alex messed up the, the intro. The, so yeah, the, yeah, the, the city quite work. The thing um, is, Damon, well, hang on, Kirsten. Damon would have a job right now if he's willing to compromise on what he does. And since <laughs> myriad skills are awesome. All I hear from him is, no, I won't do that. I won't do that. <laughs> That's totally what's happening. Yeah, exactly. Damon, how about, we, how about we hire you to set up our merch shop, which Ed has failed to do? I'm down. We'll start working on sponsorships too. And uh, yeah, no, that's good for me. <laughs> um, I, I assume you guys have a Fiverr account for like all the different art, right? So we yeah. do. <laughs> all right, Ed, you're fired. Yeah. Okay, good. Just like that. Well, he actually has a job now, so... <laughs> Guys, and and I will I will tell you, Damon. Uh, waiting for the right thing is, uh, is if if you can possibly afford to is is worth it. Working on. Speaking of waiting for the right thing, okay. I just bought a blender, and I have not been blender shopping in twenty to twenty five years. And let me tell you the rabbit hole. Is it, is it the Tesla of blenders? I don't. I, is there a Tesla of blenders? I don't know. Uh, Kirsten, what kind of blender do you have? Because it's probably quality. Uh, I'd have to go look, but we bought it when we got married and that was 17 years ago. So, you know, something, if you don't know what it is, that means you don't care. Um, <laughs> Edward, what kind of blender do you have at home? A crappy hand-me-down. So you don't enjoy blending art or science? I uh, no, it, blending is a, is a, a field that I have yet to, uh, explore. Um, is, did, did Damon just leave the room to go? I think check? he's checking his blender, so he has to answer. So none of you are in the blenderati. A KitchenAid <laughs> is the answer, by the way. Kitchen uh, a KitchenAid that uh, that my girlfriend had purchased a few years ago, specifically for smoothies and and juices and 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 that kind of thing. Although I can't remember the last time it was used. So I had we want to belatedly. Thank you for joining the blend cast. Go ahead. <laughs> I had a KitchenAid for probably 30 years that I inherited from my, my family and I left for college. It was amazing. Um, and, but I was blender shopping this week and I thought, Oh, you know what blender is worth more than $99. It's impossible. It's just a oh. motor with an on off switch. And maybe oh, you are so you, you have not gone yeah. down the rabbit hole. my yeah. friend. And so on Twitter, I got schooled by hundreds of people and the overwhelming point of view was that Vitamix was the one, and if not a blend tech. Is that what you got? And then I looked at, have you seen the blend tech series, Will It Blend? 
Yes. I, I know of it. Okay. Well, yeah. they will blend like a, an iPhone. Like uh, I heard that uh, our friend Alan Hall, formerly of Ford, blended a piece of an A-pillar in the blend tech. I mean, bl- they will blend things you cannot believe, like pieces of a tire. It's an awesome series. And so what did you get? I got the Vitamix um, because it it maxes out at 2.2 horsepower. Blendtec goes to three. But what I learned is is that um, the the virtue signaling of of people buying blenders is off off the scale. But I will say this for Vitamix. It's not a connected device. It's built to last. It's made in America. And it was very expensive. But I feel good about it. I feel okay with it. I think I should note that this episode is not sponsored by any Vitamix. of the companies no, that. No, no, no. Well, I'm going to reach out to them after. Yeah. What it got me to thinking, though, is like you just want a car that starts every time and gets you from A to B. You want modes that work, that show up every time. Reliability. Says, says, the, says the Tesla owner. Right. Tesla reliable. leaser. Tesla leaser. <laughs> the thing is, if you look at everything in our lives, People will pay um, for something if it just works. If it just works. And I know you guys are making fun of me for having a Tesla, but I want and a car. A Morgan. And a Morgan. Yeah, I, don't, I, I don't drive a Morgan anymore. That's different. Um, so here's to all the product. Good morning to everyone building products that just work and charge a little more because I will pay for it. Um, there you go. That's my message of the day. All right, Alex, here's a question for you before we dig into the news of the week. What vehicle that exists today qualifies uh, as the the Vitamix of of cars? Is it like a Ford F one fifty? I don't know. No, I'm no, no. It's got to be a van. It's got to be a van. Is it a Ford Econoline van? They don't a make those anymore. Van? Yeah, it'd be yeah. like a Transit. Okay. Yeah. Is it, is it a Toyota yeah. Camry. No, no, it's you know, it's I, I think I, I think Ed hit the hit the uh, nail on the head. I, I think it's the Mercedes Benz Sprinter van. Yeah, Sprinter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah that seems be. a little bougie. Um, it's it like, a three hundred blender. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you for that. Yeah, that's a quite the intro to our uh, our agenda here. Um, and and actually, like our first. Story is one that um, I we literally, as we record this, I think the the, the call just recently ended um, with this news, and and I was busy, so I didn't hear it. So, Kirsten, I think you were on. Do you want to school uh, the listeners and I? And Kirsten, tell us about Daimler and <clears throat> BMW. Actually, no, actually, we're not talking about Daimler and BMW. Daimler and Nvidia, I believe you meant to say. Oh, whatever. We're actually talking about Mercedes Benz AG and. NVIDIA, but that's okay. Okay. Um, well, so Mercedes and NVIDIA have had these little um, partnership announcements over the years. There was one back in 2000, 2017, one in 2018, and um, which no one really understood at the time what it was going to be, but it was NVIDIA working with Mercedes on the MBUX infotainment or pr- providing the pow- powering it with their chip. Was that a game changer, Kirsten? Well, there was no. a couple interesting things about it. I wouldn't call it a game changer, but MBUX is interesting because their business model or strategy changed in terms of how and what vehicles they choose to introduce new technology first. So instead of going to the flagship S class, it was first introduced in the A class, which was is new and different. Um, but today's announcement is 
basically the Mercedes and NVIDIA announced a partnership focused on an in-vehicle software-centric computing architecture based off of NVIDIA's um, NVIDIA, Dr- NVIDIA Drive, the new generation of it. It's a system-on-chip uh, called Orin. The, re- the reason why this is interesting is because it's not a pilot. This is not a one-off. Basically, Mercedes-Benz is moving away from the traditional, just keep throwing ECUs in a vehicle um, and simplifying things and creating something far more software-centric. So software, sort of a software-based system where you could have apps, you could do over-the-air software updates. And the whole idea is to use that to improve auto, um, auto- automated driving for parking and autonomous um, driver assistance for um, the driving system, so the ADAS systems. Um, and this is all going to be in the 2024 vehicle models across a standard and across the entire portfolio. So wait, oh, so, so that wait, is interesting. Let me understand something. So the OTA will be fleet wide. Is that correct? It, yeah. So the idea is that basically they want to follow the, the Tesla model. I mean, that's what it comes down to. They want to have, uh, they want to divorce the software to the hardware in a way. So much more software centric, a more simplified system. Um, I think that Mercedes has more than a hundred ECUs in their modern vehicle today. So this would condense things, this would simplify things, this would make it much more software centric and supported by OTAs. The idea behind it is that it is essentially would be for in being able to improve the performance and the capabilities of driver assistance systems and automated driving specifically around parking. And it would be across this entire portfolio. So this would be standard in every single vehicle. So the 2024 data has nothing to do with AV? No. This is production series vehicles. Yeah. And, and another thing, I'm just looking at um, some one of the reporting on it, and there's a quote from uh, Ola Kalenius, the, the CEO of Mercedes, um, talking about uh, in addition to over-the-air uh, uh, updates, um, that also this is going to enable more growth of their app store, which and right. he said that, that revenue stream is already growing. That's yeah. really interesting. Um, people forget that that's another thing that that Tesla said that they were going to do. There's a video on YouTube that you can find of um, the app store. Yeah. Steve, Steve Jurvetson in in the prototype Model S at the at the one of the first unveil events for the Model S, and and Elon's like. You know, yeah, we're, we're going to have this app store. It's going to be great. And it's funny because when people compare Tesla to a smartphone or, or cars to smartphones, which obviously, as you all know, is a huge gripe of mine, like the biggest difference um, besides there's there's a bunch, but but one of the biggest differences is that how do you make money on a smartphone? It, it's actually, you know, and it's changed it's over the years and in different markets and whatever, but to a large extent, it is a, a platform. Um, and that a lot of the revenue from smartphones does come from having that app store ecosystem. Right. Um, and so that is one of the things that does fundamentally change, potentially anyway, change the, the economics of the car business and gets it away from being that sort of grinded out, low margin manufacturing business. Um, but you have to actually do it. And it's interesting that 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 was, that was supposed to happen. Uh, in my story, I say that theoretically they can do this because then it it would. In, I mean, Mercedes is certainly looking for new and recurrent streams of revenue. 
Um, but not all automakers want to open the door of third-party apps coming in. Yeah. This would allow it. And I'm very interested in what this means for their the cybersecurity element or the security element of, of, um, of the vehicles um, based on this more higher-performing but sim- simpler system. But yeah, theoretically, they could introduce third-party apps to the vehicles. And he did mention new revenue streams during today's press conference. So you could, and they, they specifically say this would let customers purchase and add capabilities, um, add software applications, and even subscription services. So you can imagine maybe being able to stream a music service or something like that. Yeah. What's interesting too, I mean, as you sort of alluded to on cybersecurity, but then also in terms of UX, right? Like the approval process... Right, for Android is easier than for Apple uh, Apple Store, and there's been some controversy around the Apple thing um, recently. But um, but if you think about a car apps for cars, the amount of uh, validation and approval that would have to happen on the OEM side to make sure that not just cybersecurity but but user interface issues that you're not creating additional distractions that then the manufacturer might be held liable. For, right. Like there's all kinds of issues. Which there. is exactly why we haven't seen them except for the really really big companies, right? Like you know your your car to goes and that kind of thing to a certain. Have you any of you re- like extensively driven any new Mercedes w- and use the MBUX infotainment system? Nope. Alex? Uh, no. I, I haven't either. Um, not in a way where, you know, I've used it for a week or more. Uh, and so it seems like the two, though, would go together, that it would make sense to have that type of infotainment system with then this newer capable um, underlying architecture. However, by the time 2024 rolls around, I don't know if, you know, where MBUX will be. Um, I've never heard anyone say anything about MBUX that made it interesting to me, except what three words. Right. I've heard good things about the gesture control. I mean, dude, gesture control is a crutch. (laughs) It's also a dead end for, and will be for a long time. Come on, dude. No you heard one, it here first. Why? No what, what's the, wants it's a crutch. It's a bridge to what, dude? It's, like, it's, what's, it, what's it a crutch to? It's a, uh, it's a crutch it's to... Just going back to a job? To eliminating, to eliminating gesture control. <laughs> like, I mean... It's well, so, dude, it's so I, I assume you, you think that voice would be better. Of course. Uh, no one... I mean, if you ask, ask anyone, wh- if gesture control is good, why does, is anyone asking for it ever? No one ever asked for it. Um, well, no one, no one was, asked for the iPhone, Alex. You uh, know, we didn't no, but really I won't agree with Alex this. Doing a gesture oh. is annoying. It's a cool novelty thing. And then really all you want to do is have a normal conversation um, in a conversational tone without shouting at your vehicle to get some things done. And I will say surprisingly that um, in one of the the last two or three software updates in Alex's Tesla that's sitting in my driveway, um, the voice has actually improved. It used to be pretty bad. No, it's never been bad. It's always been good. I've never, I've never had a lot of luck with it. Um, I have. Okay. Well, it has improved greatly. So I'll just add that little. There, there might be some cultural bias in that. Uh, There's in no that, cultural uh, bias. Voice so. I would love. You're <laughs> looking at you're, the bald white man. You're a serious journalist. People respect you, 
even people who disagree with you respect you. Um, I've used a lot of voice control, and to me, it's all garbage except Tesla. I've never heard another one that was good. And in the in the in the hierarchy of interfaces, the only thing worse than gesture control is handwriting recognition while in motion. Oh, you don't like Audi's little hand? Right. I love I love Audis as cars, and and I of course think they're wonderful. But just, but the handwriting recognition, it, no one asks for that. I mean, I'd rather have handwriting than just the scroll wheel. Oh, yeah, I don't, I don't know, know. Yeah. Kirsten. I remember using the handwriting with you once when you had like a silver car or something oh, like yeah. that, and I could I could not get. I mean, I granted I have terrible handwriting. So I, I think I'm as much to blame for this as Audi. I literally could not get the thing to work. Like I couldn't, I could not put in oh. an address. I ended up having to pull out my, I was a passenger, so it was okay. But like I had to pull out the, my phone in order to. You know what would be safer than handwriting recognition would be if you could pull out your phone and type into your phone. <laughs> to get, you know, what's really bad. If you get into a, is it I think Matt Farah drove a Lexus recently and he's like, this is just. It's two thousand. Oh, are you talking about the mouse? Universe? Yeah. Yep. What are they doing? I still can't believe they haven't gotten rid of that. I don't understand cars that have sometimes two or three or even four methods of interface. Mm-hmm. What are they do? I mean, because they're yeah, it seems like overkill and an unnecessary complication. Also, I'd like to point out that it's biased towards right-handed people, which mm-hmm. I am not one of. I am left-handed, and so where is that? Where is that left-handed capability? So. Oh. By the way, just to, now that we're talking about Audi and we were speaking about NVIDIA, uh, this has got to be about 10 years ago. You guys might not remember this, but this is just when NVIDIA was starting to make their push into the automotive market a little bit more. And they made an announcement with uh, Audi at CES. And again, like I said, it's got to be close to a decade now. Um, and the announcement then at that time was essentially a modular MMI system where they had originally set it up where they had an NVIDIA chip in there and you could actually swap out the chip so it could be future-proofed. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And I think Go- that lasts all of like two years. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Ghosts of CES past. Um, we, that yeah. would be a great show. Um, so that was the announcement today. Uh, interesting and certainly more significant than, you know, a lot of times these partnerships, it's for proof of concept or product development or a pilot. This, at least on the face of it, based on what we know today seems far more significant. So, you know, we have three and a half years to see how it all, you know, comes together, but yeah. So uh, I thought the more interesting news from, uh, from Daimler Mercedes kind of uh, last week came out, which was uh, the partnership between Daimler and BMW um, on next generation driver assistance systems has basically been, killed right um well, which should they, never they predict that up, one they broke up right on on so last year uh they announced a long-term alliance and apparently long-term means 11 months <laughs> <laughs> you're rude you're so rude um hey i mean that's the words they used when crafting this release uh but they seem to have kept the door open to someday potentially working on the future, which to me is sort of like, I don't know. I said this off air before, but sort of like breaking up with someone, but like, you know, inviting them over for a late night. 
late night text right. messages. <laughs> late late night AI develop, AI model. Yeah, exactly. Um, BMW, but Daimler announced that they are getting out of AV and they're going to focus on ADAS and BMW has got their deal with Intel Mobileye anyway. Right, right. So it does make sense and they're not breaking up on everything else. They still have their mobility poorly named matchup, right. matchup and then they still are part of the consortium the original members of the consortium with Audi on um, when they acquired here. So they're still tied together. I think that there was, to me, that autonomous vehicle long-term alliance when they announced it was representative of them both trying to figure out what was, what they were doing. And then just kind of, I've used this analogy before it like survivor where everyone was creating these alliances um, to survive. And then they've, are kind of getting rid of the ones now that are either repetitive, you know, redundant, or you know, not worth pursuing. It's a conscious right, no, I think, uncoupling. Yeah, no, it was just I, I. The thing was, they were both developing their own systems, kind of on parallel tracks. I just never got the impression that there was a ton and, of exchange there, right? Or that they were um, any good. Well, I, I, I mean, you're a little biased. We can admit that, I but like at the biased. end of the day, uh, but no, at the end of the day, I mean, I, I, you know, BMW dealers probably just concluded that what their their l2 l3 systems um only had so much commercial viability right you mean not much <laughs> no. have no, you I, tested the have you tested a, a recent bmw like five series ADAS? seven seven series seven series uh, what'd you think no no just the word no no the, the one i want to test and i haven't is the one that has the driver monitoring system I think it's the X6 has the, uh, I forget who's I think you're right. Yeah. The X6 has a DMS. I don't think it's seeing machines. Maybe it is, or, or it's the other company. What are they called? Uh, something I, um, uh, no, no, no. Uh, uh, Joanna, uh, Muller, I think is driving one right now. I think she's got a note in her last Axios newsletter. So about it, all, it. it all comes down to, cause for all we know, maybe the lane keeping is good, but it, it isn't like quote unquote unlocked, until you attach a good DMS to it. And if the, if the team, the project, if the PM on that project really understood how Tesla does it and had driven a super cruise equipped vehicle at length, then BMW might have something there. And remember all these guys are you know, two to three years away from having a DMS in every car with L2. And then we'll find out, then it's going to be a, I don't want to say a race. Then it's going to be a war to find out which of these companies uh, really understands the behavior and integration um, and wins that, you know, for user experience. That's that I'd like to see about that. But again, they don't they don't own any of the technologies. They're all you know sensors they got from somewhere else. They're all you know. We'll see. Uh, but my question, I, I'm going to sound super trolly now. Okay. In in reality, uh, the portfolios of BMW and and Mercedes Benz, like the passenger cars, other than badge. They're indistinguishable. They do. They have all the same models. They have too many models, and so logically, twenty years from now, BMW and, and Mercedes-Benz are one company with skateboards. And they're bet. They're just selling. They're just selling bodies on top of these skateboards, and that's it. And you're paying. Right, but, but the badge part, I think, is important at least for a certain generation. I don't know if it'll matter for future generations, but I certainly know that. Like, I I, I know people who will never drive a BMW, but only ever drive a Mercedes because it has that 
on it. You should close all the dealerships in Germany, cut the number of factories in half, and then you oh, you want a BMW, you want you want an AMG or an M car, you just order it and the thing shows up. It's the same skateboard. It looks like a BMW, it looks like a Mercedes, they do exactly the same thing. Um, they go really fast, they handle amazingly, and it's got a little look feel difference. And that that's just be done with it. Like, oh, so so are you saying that cars to, are commodified? Yeah, why are you trying to kill a bunch of jobs too? I'm I'm, I'm not. Uh, I think most of those jobs should migrate to micro mobility and and creating a universe of interesting, affordable, smaller form factor options. Um, we live in a world in which Uber just essentially single handedly killed jobs. So, what mm, is this micro mobility future? Uh, the the world is a big place. Uber does not own it or the idea. So. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. I mean, so this, this cooperation, one of the things that w- was part of the plan was, a uh, was level four for private customers, right. Quote, quote, deployed in mass market vehicles for private company, uh, for private customers from 2024. That's ambitious and, and definitely sort of outside of the, what seems to be sort of the consensus around most level four companies. So I, I think maybe that, that Neo is the only other company that I can recall off the top of my head that was, was has a deal working on providing personally owned vehicles that have wait hold on a minute could you clarify this please who is promising level four private ownership in 2024 this was the the from so i'm looking at automotive news's write-up of uh although it's actually it's reuters um uh from the announcement of the bmw daimler partnership um, and it says BMW and Daimler on Thursday said they had finalized the agreement and that they expect the technology to be, to be deployed in mass market vehicles for private c- customers from 2024. The technology will be so-called level four. Greetings, Atonicat Nation. Pardon the interruption. We know you're all anxious to hear the rest of the show, but we need a minute of your time. Actually, Kirsten, we need a few minutes. Okay, fine. Well, let's be clear. We don't need your time as much as your information. You might have heard that we have created a survey. Hold up. Let's provide some context here. What started as a fun side project has turned into something much bigger than we ever expected. And so it's time for us to grow up just a little. And to do that, we need to better understand our audience. We created a survey to do just that. The data fields are mostly optional, but the more you provide, the more you help. Importantly, we will never share your personal information with anyone. Filling out this survey is the most effective way to help us make this podcast everything it can be. So please take a few minutes to visit atonicast.com slash survey and help us understand who you are and how we can improve. Thanks. Okay, so we've got Mercedes and NVIDIA's announcement today going in production series and the breakup of our, you know, pause of uh, BMW and um Daimler. But there are other things that happened this week. There have been quite a few actually. Okay. Nicola is uh gone quiet this week. We're we're not gonna talk about Nicola right now. That that requires more time <laughs> than we have in this episode. Uh, Damon, you have you actually have some actually takes- I, I I have a confession to make. 
that's probably going to freak a lot of people out, but I've been using Apple Maps exclusively. Oh my for like, God. It's actually been, it was actually pre-coronavirus, so it's got to be almost six months now. What prompted the change? What prompted let's, the- guys, let's not, let's not kink shame, okay? <laughs> well, no, uh, part of it was generally, I'm starting to de-Google a little bit more. Um, so I think that's part of it. Um, you know, I've never been a big fan of Waze's UI, so just trying to, you know, divorce myself from that was kind of nice. Um, but no, actually, I uh, read that Walt Mossberg, of all people, um, which generally isn't like my go-to tech guy, but um, he was like, you know, it's actually gotten a lot better. So I started using it, and I just kind of got stuck on it. Um, and it's actually gotten like remarkably better just in the last two or three years since I used it recently. Um, traffic updates, uh, routes, directions, uh, calling out construction. There's um, just a bunch of other stuff they've implemented. And then, um, of course, yesterday at uh, WWDC, uh, which is kind of Apple's big software uh, conference where they start showing off some of the newer versions of iOS and macOS and that kind of thing, they showed off some really interesting new applications for Apple Maps, which... Um, I don't know. It, there was there were some that I think were more intriguing than others, but um, you know, I think for our audience, like the EV routing thing, I think was particularly particularly interesting. So you can basically like type in the kind of car you have. Um, it'll figure out you know what the range is. It'll uh, connect up with the car over uh, CarPlay, and then it'll actually give you um, uh, a route based on your uh, charging where a charge station is. It'll also let you know where it goes uphill, where temperatures are changing, where it could affect um, range and that kind of thing. So it's something that we've seen automakers kind of implement on their own, but now they're actually doing it, you know, through an app and actually through through an app that's on damn near everybody's uh, iPhone if they have deleted it already. Um, it is pretty impressive. I mean, Google has offered something like this in the past. Am I wrong? Well, I, I just remember Alex ranting about how on the Porsche Taycan, this is like a $2,000 option or like a $500 option or something like that. Really? It's unclear to me, like the, is an extra something, something mapping functionality. Dynamic, dynamic I, yeah. EV charging. I wasn't clear if it was on the car that I drove or not, and I didn't get a chance to test it. I don't know what it means. Uh, I still, I will all, I still find that using the plug share app is the best way to unify it's a scan across all um, EV charging networks. I have not seen it like really well integrated into a car. I mean, Kirsten, you had some experience with a, a Kia Nero using plug share. Did you not? Uh, well, I, I, when I'm testing EVs, um, with the exception of Tesla, which does have a very good map of all of its superchargers and, you know, I will say that they really figured that that piece out. Um, I almost always use PlugShare app on my phone because um, I remember when I was using when I was taking the Kia from Arizona to California, which was quite an interesting uh, ride, which took me three times longer than it should have. Um, finding like. It will show you what the nearest um, EV is, EV charger is by mileage, but it doesn't show a map. <laughs> so it could be like the opposite direction. I mean, it, it's not very helpful and it was kind of hard to use. So I like just find the nearest McDonald's and it tells you there's one 13 miles behind you, right? Right. But it'll be like in, to the Northwest or whatever. And it's like, well, okay. 
Um, and then you, it just, it, the infotainment system in a lot of vehicles, as we all know, just isn't as simple to use and clear as your phone. And so I've found that the PlugShare app, you can very quickly, you know, I was relying on that and I do rely on that on almost every EV I've ever tested or driven cross, driven cross country or driven long distances, I should say. You know, what really helps is when you have a company with one guy who looks at this and says, this is shit. This is not the best way to do this. And I know you hate Elon Musk, but clearly he got into that car and said, the UI has got to be better. And that's what we have, what we have here today. And too many companies have too many cooks in the kitchen. Every time you want to deploy this stuff, too many cooks in the kitchen. Um, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't say that. I don't think any of us hate Elon Musk. Um, no, I you, only, only for myself. I hate the, the freaking myth that like, everything good that Tesla does is because Elon sits down and does okay, it himself. Okay, fine. Super Cruise. Like clearly a very small group of people got together and like had a common vision and executed, executed on that. And that's why it turned out well. And I'm really glad to see that. Well, um, sometimes it just takes the person in charge getting out of the way too. It doesn't necessarily have to be that they. <laughs> no. You don't think uh, that the, the reason the Rivian is so cool is because what's his name doesn't have good taste. He does. He has good taste. RJ, RJ? Yeah, yeah, I would. Really say, yeah, he had um, when when I met him, he he had the uh, Pendleton Nike, so clearly he has good taste. Yeah, the guy's the guy's cool. Uh, what's his name? Uh, the guy who used to run Moya, um, Oli Harms. Ola? Yeah, yeah. Uh, a very. I like that guy. What's he doing? Like he's doing this um, car, the VW Car Software Initiative. Like mm, I'm, yeah. I'm more opti- I wouldn't be optimistic about it, except that he's the guy doing it. Like that's a good sign. Um, we'll see. Who knows? You just find him fashionable. No, he's a smart guy. Uh, you know, I know him a little bit. Alex, Alex is the believer in the uh, the great man theory of of automotive history. It could be great woman. It doesn't matter. Uh, but there are some folks that you like trust their judgment, and then you have everybody. A lot else. of other people. Well, I think what we found is that bureaucracy um, oftentimes like kills a really good thing or takes a really great thing and makes it a lot worse. Um. The Apple Maps, to circle back to the Apple Maps, the EV routing is really interesting. They also added a bicycling option, um, which provides elevation uh, changes or shows elevation um, like a challenging hill that's coming up. It was it was not really mentioned in any detail uh, during the developer conference yesterday, but there's also on Apple Maps now... Um, it will show green zones and congestion zones. And they spent, you know, five seconds mentioning China about that feature. And so how prevalent is Apple within China in terms of like the user base? Because they were clearly aiming it towards that audience. Yeah, I mean, they use Paris and China as the examples, right? What? They use Paris and I think Beijing is the example, if I recall. Yes, but specifically yeah. for China, they said, you know, you can securely store your license plate. Right. And it will tell you what day you can go into the city based on that. So this is, you know, obviously not directed in any way towards the U.S. market or the North American market. Yet. Yet. We'll see what happens when congestion charges come to New York, San Francisco, other major metro areas. It's probably going to be a while, but it's going to happen at some point. Probably. Yeah. Well, you know what happened to the guy, the first guy to run Apple Maps? They had to fire him because um, he sent them back years. 
It was well, a, Apple Maps not, is a, it was a famously yeah, it was a famously bad product for a long time, which is why Damon's revelation was so so <laughs> shocking. Um, it's really good. Speaking, it's shockingly good. Yeah, um, we have speaking of mapping. Um, there was some other um, mapping related news this week that I thought was really interesting. And once again, Kirsten Korosek of TechCrunch had uh, the best reporting on it. So Kirsten, why don't you... Uh... I, I have no idea if it was the best reporting on it, but I generally, as a rule, don't read other people's stories. So I'll just take that as a compliment and assume that you're right. But you was, really don't read other like, people's stories? It was story? a compliment and it obligates you to be nice to me tomorrow when we do a panel. <laughs> well, it doesn't come naturally to me, Ed. <laughs> just a little bit of effort. That's all I ask. <laughs> I'll try not to humiliate you at your, you know... <laughs> In front of my boss. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Try. Um, All I can ask is that you try. Cool. Uh, so t- today, Lyft's level five self-driving car program, which I will say, in my opinion, is the worst name for any self-driving car program. But yes, it's ca- it causes a lot of confusion. But at any rate, um, so Lyft's level five self-driving program announced today that basically what they're doing is they are taking data collected from the human drivers on their rideshare platform and using it to augment and improve their self-driving car program. So, which is ironic in a way, although I'm not going to say it's going to be like potentially taking away these jobs because we know, we all know it's going to take freaking decades to get there. So I'm not going to, Go down 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 Decades get to level five. Well, I think they're going for level four. They just call it Mm. level five. Hence Mm. the confusion. Mm. Um, But so what they're going to do is, are you familiar with express drive, which is the rental program that Lyft employs? Oh no, I'm not aware of To connect drivers to rental cars to use on their platform. A subset of those vehicles are being equipped with cameras. And then they're taking that data from their cam- these cameras and technology from uh, Blue Vision Labs, which Lyft acquired about two years ago. And then they're converting that rideshare share data, driver data into city-scale 3D geometric maps. Then they're also using it to um, understand, improve their simulation tests, but what is really interesting too is that they're um, they're taking this data and they're using visual localization technology to track the trajectory that Lyft drivers follow on the road in order to understand what trajectory their autonomous vehicles should take while turning and staying in lane. Interesting. Wow! Wow! No one ever thought of that before. Well. I mean, what was funny to me about this is like literally just earlier this week, I think, or last week or something recently, um, uh, um, oh God, I'm totally, Andre Karpathy of, Your of, boy, Andre. of Tesla, um, who I, to be clear, I think is a very, very smart guy. Um, would never suggest otherwise, but he said that, um, you know, he was talking about, he was sort of just discussing the sort of you know, how Tesla's approach is, is, is scalable, right? Um, it's just sort of the main, the main claim that they're making about it in terms of how it's differentiated from other approaches to, to full self-driving level four or five, whatever um, development. Um, but he said, you know, one of these main bullet points was HD mapping doesn't scale. And at the time I was like, 
you know, and, and this, but this is just another example of, you know, talking about HD mapping as if the only way to do it is like you're stuck in 2005 and all you have is a here fleet with, with a bunch of LIDAR that's just a dedicated mapping fleet that has to go. Like we don't live in that world anymore. There are lots of, right. And first of all, you don't need LIDAR even. You can do pretty, pretty darn accurate. Um, and we don't know how accurate this lift uh, mapping will be. I would be very curious about that, but like I mentioned Carmera, um, Mobileye is doing mapping. So what, what what's fascinating to me about this is that there are a number of companies that are doing fleet based. So fleets of vehicles that are doing other things, whether they're private in Mobileye's case, it's private cars and the cameras there for ADAS, but they're able to take little chunks of data from each one and build maps out of it. Uh, Carmera, it's it's like uh, city, you know, garbage truck fleets or whatever. Just hypothetically, it's you know different kinds of of utility fleets. Um, that have cameras on them and and those are being used to build sort of, you know, living maps or whatever. Um, and and so what's fascinating is is that is that in a way this it validates Tesla's philosophy that the way to develop AVs is to have lots of vehicles out on the road collecting lots of data all the time. But 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 Tesla presents it as like that the value of that data is entirely in the sort of training the neural net side of it. When what you actually see when you look at the companies that are doing this, other than Tesla, it, they almost all, you know, and, and again, Lyft is doing other stuff as well. It, it sounds like there's there's some of what Tesla's talking about, but the primary thing is for mapping. And so so it seems to me that like the 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 lesson is, is or the consensus is that is that, you know, yeah, like putting a camera on a, a significant size fleet of cars can be really good. Uh, but that it's to do it's the best application for that is the one thing that Tesla is sort of proud of not doing, which is building HD maps. Uh, yeah. Lyft level five, look, it's going to be sold or shut down um, before any of that happens anyway. Well, let's talk about the premise, though, of using drivers on your rideshare platform to augment and improve a different project that you have going on. That is very interesting to me just on that face and shows that how drivers are gig economy workers, if they agree to whatever disclosure form they were given, can be used, that data can be used for a host of other services. I mean, it gets away from the self-driving car topic, but it is very interesting to me. And I think we're going to see a lot more of this. And, um, you know, I did ask and yes, they're given a one-page disclosure form. Uh, it's forward-facing camera. It's not recording audio. It's not looking in cabin. But point is, is that the model has been set to use that. Um, and, and I know that there, are, it's nothing new. I'm, I'm sure that there's data being collected on all sorts of, by all sorts of other companies in the sort of gig economy shared mobility space. But this is one where it's being used to develop future technologies, which I think is interesting. Yeah. Well, you're, if you, I mean, you're, de you're developing whether your company is going to survive or not. You need data. You, got, you need data to come from somewhere. So I'm glad they're doing this, but it's um, really not a long-term tenable solution. It would be interesting though, like if 15 years from now that human, human drivers uh, on rideshare were rare and <laughs> and autonomous vehicle technology had taken off to a point where they're being used. Let's say Lyft still exists, Alex. I know you don't believe that. I do. Well, I mean, Lyft as a brand, absolutely. And as yeah, a company, absolutely. I'm saying oh, that 
I'm saying that it's, it, the writing is on the wall for companies whose core whose core competency is one thing, but that are adding on divisions that do another. Sure, sure, okay. Especially given the, the latest thing going on with Trump immigration, but the talent pool um, is going to at least temporarily um, see it get tighter. And there's, you know, if you are an, like one of the world's greatest engineers in this sector, where are you going to go? You want to go to a company that's going to be doing the exact same thing. Um, mm-hmm. And win, I don't say win, um, that just does one thing the best so that you can do your one thing the best. Uh, and it's not a hailing company. It's not a ride hail company with an AV division. It's going to be an AV company. And that list of companies is very short. Do you think that the reason why so many companies are kind of pursuing multiple things is that they're sort of inspired by or think that they can become like what the equivalent of Google has become, which is started out as one thing and now has gone off to. I mean, that that was Uber. That was uh, that was Travis's vision for Uber, right? Like it was just the the you know delivery of human and physical goods company, right? That was mm-hmm. he, he has eyes set on tackling Amazon in that regard. With so. the with the minor distinction that you know Uber has never had a cash printing machine at the at the New. heart of that. And exactly. the other distinction would be that uh, that uh, Google has had a, a wide span of expensive disasters and they. That just got shut down. Look, you know, so I mean, why did Uber and Lyft do this? Because they hoped and prayed that some of the clear exaggerations today about when AVs be available um, would come true and that they could own the underlying technology, which would improve their margins if they own the AV stack and could deploy it at scale. And those exaggerations turned out to be exactly that exaggerations. And so those divisions, and I've got friends at both those companies, those divisions logically, um, are not going to get to where they want to be um, or need to be in order to add real value to, to their stock prices or to the, to the businesses in general. Whereas companies that do one thing focused are going to get there and they're going to deliver at scale. And a certain company I may know a lot about is not the only one that's going to do that. The sector is huge. There'll be more than one winner. And by winner, I mean company that is profitable. Um, the other thing about Lyft, so, you know, if we're talking about, let's say, Kristen, I think you said like 15 years from now, you know, there's some mix of like autonomous drivers and real drivers in the car. Um, the other thing that Lyft announced was they want to have their entire fleet to be, is it emissions free by 2030? Well, they say zero emissions, but that, that the, the assumption is that that means battery electric, but obviously it could be something different. Yeah. I guess you're trying to figure out what's going to happen sooner. Is Lyft's entire fleet going to be electric or, you know, emissions free, or are they actually going to have some kind of AV deployment at that time? I am. This is a shout out to my friends at Lyft. I know you were not part of the decision to put out that press release, but that's absurd. And does you, does not do, it's a disservice to the, to the good work you've done. That's an absurd suggestion. Let's also be, let's also be fair to Lyft and say that they're the only ride hailing platform that I'm aware of, at least one with, with real scale that you can actually get a ride in an autonomous vehicle from. I've never in two, seen in two different, two different locations. Like this is such from two different signaling. companies. Did anyone ask them the question about whether uh, they were going to ban internal combustion? I did. I asked that. And what's yes. the answer, Kirsten? You're a real journalist. Tell us what you learned. I feel like every time, by the way, that you say real journalist, that you're actually just mocking me. I I say it with respect, um, so any new listener can come to the show. Will should know exactly what to expect from each of us, except you. 
Right. Okay. Well, thanks for that clarity. Um, so let's be clear on a couple of things. Uh, are they going to ban gas-powered vehicles on their platform? The answer, after a little bit of go around, is no. So then you might ask, how and then do you plan on achieving every vehicle on your platform to be essentially all electric without prohibiting gas-powered vehicles beyond your platform? And Lyft's answer to me was that they felt like it would become so attractive to have an EV that that through over the next decade, a decade is a long time. Let's also like a lot can happen in a decade that it will naturally go to that anyway. Now, they have the express drive program, which is the rental car program. So that's an easy place to just say, if you're going to rent a car on here, on this platform, and we're going to provide all these incentives for you to do it and help you get started, they're only going to be electric. So that's an easy one. Their autonomous vehicles program is going to move to all electric, another easy one. So then that just leaves all the rest of the just regular drivers on Lyft platform. And so I think that what's going to happen is that they're going to target cities that are already have congestion pricing and other like emissions, um, strict emissions um, regulations in the US and Canada. Future-proofing their fleet, right? Exactly. So that's what I view it as. I think that they're just publicly stating what is probably going to be in a lot of major cities the case anyways, at least for rideshare drivers, maybe not for everyone else. So I would be curious to see if Lyft is amping up any of its lobbying efforts. And I ask this because, you know, for a while now, there's been a couple of years now, um, globally, there's been some backlash against sort of the first wave, let's call it, of, of EV incentives in that, you know, most of those have gone to wealthy people who don't need them, right? It's essentially rewarding wealthy people for buying a Tesla has been a lot of it. And, and that's been become politically right. Edward, a Tesla, Tesla ownership or is a, it, is or a, a Porsche is, Taycan is or reward. Yeah, well, exactly. Thank you. Cool. Alex. No, I mean, we, we agree. Uh, <laughs> I can't believe I'm agreeing with Alex Roy, uh, <laughs> but, but so, so, and, and in China where they have a huge range of, of um, different kinds of EV incentives federally and locally, um, one of the ones that seems to have had a big impact on the character of the market has been incentives for ride hailing, where essentially it's, it's if you want to operate a ride hailing vehicle, it kind of has to be electric. I don't know a ton about the mechanism of, of it or, or what levels it's being enforced at and all that, but that's essentially the deal. And, and what that's done is, is, as we've discussed on this show before, create a market, an EV market that's very different than in the US and Europe, where EVs are, are kind of a premium thing. And in, in China, by targeting that that ride-hailing market, they've created a, a real market, really arguably the only market in the world for sort of affordable entry-level EVs that, that at reasonable uh, well, approaching scale that is, you know, optimal, you know, some kind of, some kind of scale uh, and market, market share. I'm, I'm going to say profitable. I, you know, I don't know that much, but, um, but, but, but the point being is, is that is it would be interesting. Like if I were Lyft and I were sort of thinking about how are we going to actually deliver on, make sure we deliver on this, I'm sort of pitching to, uh, to us 
uh, you know, policymakers that, you know, hey, if we do something like they're doing in China uh, and make laws around this stuff, then they're, they're not banning gas vehicles from their fleet, but um, the government might effectively be able to ban them. Um, and I could see them doing that because, again, you know, they would be supporting the low end of the market, um, which is more politically palatable than, than subsidizing luxury cars. Yeah, it's also easier when you live in yeah, communist. Whoa, did you say communism? <laughs> Whoa, we're trying to get our attention. Capitalism, you know, communism, whatever. Yeah, I mean, no. Here's the I, thing. Is, Don't what, slip any propaganda in here. In the <laughs> what country was it? Didn't some countries say that they're going to ban internal combustion after like 2040 or something? Um, I, well, I think London and Paris have been the most aggressive. Yeah. But those aren't countries. Those are cities. Uh, I don't know. No, it wouldn't surprise me if, like, a Sweden or a Norway or Denmark or one of the Nordic states did something like that, or Nordic countries did something like that. There's been a couple of instances <clears throat> of, like, political parties adding that to their platform and then idiot American journalists report, no, reporting right. it oh, as, okay, yeah. oh, the country has committed to this. And it's like, right. no, this is a non-binding thing that it wasn't even the government. It was a political party. So Right. Oh, right, right, right. That has been around um, I, the date that seems to pop out time and time again is like 2040, which is so, I mean. It's like, I am fully committed to a water-free lifestyle. Um, no water in my life. I'm not going to ingest it. I don't even want to see it by 2075. Guaranteed. I, I want to be totally, you know, environmentally positive. I mean, these these when companies say things that are of no relevance to the people saying them in the positions they're in today because they're not going to occupy those positions. Hey, come on, let's be serious. Well, I think that what might have been better for Lyft is to be to really push more the language around all the cars on Express Drive are going to be EVs by over the next three years. All of our time, you know. So it's really actually showing a movement towards this goal as opposed to making a pledge um, because those details were sort of lost in the, in the shuffle. When you look at how they're planning on getting there, you can see that if they were to really put a lot of incentives towards renting a vehicle, first of all, it shows that they're putting more efforts into express drive potentially. And then as a result, creating more EVs, that is feels a lot more real than just a pledge because we've all seen the sustainability reports from every corporation pledging, you know, everything that you can imagine that fall right. under environmentally friendly activities. And between now and, and twenty fifty. Right. And and that what's interesting about that move too is that then if you're pushing your fleet more towards using your rentals, um, you have different ways of structuring, you know, whatever finances, what you, you can make the, you can do some tweaks to the, to, to the economics of the business, but also like the story we were just discussing about data, right? If those are your rental vehicles, um, the more you push your fleet in that direction, the more data you can collect as well. Um, so these, these stories sort of potentially dovetail, which, which starts to give you the impression that maybe there's a, there's a strategy here. Maybe. But 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 if so, then that's a really interesting sea change because it's a just a total not a total it's a it's a maybe not a one eighty but like a ninety plus degree turn from from uh, with the original vision which was we're asset light we don't own the cars we don't own the but like more and more and and you know anybody who's ever managed a fleet will tell you you know you're just 
any kind of fleet management is going to develop deliver huge efficiencies relative to no fleet management. And the original vision managed that lack of management and efficiencies by just dumping it all essentially on individuals, um, which well, has also you- created churn and all kinds of other problems. So it, it basically, right, like this is sort of like Airbnb and so many other gig economy type of platforms where it's being professionalized because surprise, surprise, professionals are better at things than amateurs. But the thing is that you kind of started to touch on, but then you added some other things um, is when you professionalize and it becomes less of a uh, free and open to all join and leave as you please type of atmosphere. You also can get to an edge and I'm not saying Lyft's doing this, but you can get to an edge where you're essentially putting drivers into servitude to you where they're just essentially driving to keep up with uh, fees that you're extracting to the, from them, like rental cars. It's another source of revenue and it becomes harder potentially again, not saying Lyft is doing this, but it becomes harder for drivers to understand how much they're actually making and how much they're spending. And so transparency on pricing and things like that, will be really important for any business um, that goes to more professionalizing and creating more fleets. I'm not saying Lyft is the only one here. There are other companies like Uber tried the rental fleets uh, situation as well, correct? Yeah. I think weren't they guilty of some financial mechanism that was exploiting the people that was the that was the subprime loans. Oh, yeah, thinking of. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Funny but how, it, but look, funny how this history follows a brand. Right. Well, so so my point is is that I am not in any way suggesting that Lyft is going down that road. I, all I'm saying is that when you professionalize a company that from gig economy and you realize that there is a revenue stream that can be made from getting a creating partnerships with audio manufacturers to get a cheap cheaper assets of a very specific type of vehicle. EVs, for example, and then creating a fleet in which you could capture driver data because they've agreed to take that vehicle, which also helps you. It it can get into a place if you're not careful where uh, drivers end up losing out. Well, and and by the way, I mean this might all be tied to the fact that like the momentum seems to suggest right now the trajectory that like they're not going to be able to keep sort of treating drivers as contractors forever, right? Yeah. I mean, you have lawsuits, you have state and local rules around this, you know, being put into place. And so if they see the writing on the wall there and they know there's no way for them to fight it, which they are fighting it right now, but if if they realize long-term they can't, they can't fight it forever, then they have to move in this direction. And, and you point, as you point out then, right? So then if you're talking about really like genuinely professionalizing the fleet, you, you maybe have some questions about, okay, you know, this company is turning into something that's super different from what was pitched to VCs way back when. But, you know, you do have other things like they can go out and commission a car from an OEM that would be the Lyft car and it could be branded and it could also last for, you know, a million miles, uh, which is not something that OEM would just put out into the private market. Right. And it could also have some automated driving features that might not be available or would be too costly in a passenger vehicle. Right, and right. data collection, a whole bunch of other mm-hmm. things. So, so if this is the start of a, of a really like st- fundamental strategic shift towards a professionalized fleet, I mean, it, again, Guys, it, it gets it's to the not, from, it's not, it's just not, yeah, well, sorry. I guess we'll see. <laughs> we will see. 
I put on my calendar 10 years. This, no. I did. Not, that's not what's going to happen. on my Google calendar 10 years from now. <laughs> we, should, we should make a bet. Make it interesting. Um, cool. Well, wow. That was, that was uh, a, a lot of stories that this, this episode flew by. It is. And we know what Alex is about to say. It's time for him to go to his very important, special, secret job. I'm working on this very secret, special operation. They're, they're, they're almost You're breaking they're up. Almost, they're almost over the landing zone. The, um, the light's turning green. He's got to jump out of the airplane. Uh, right. But, you know, uh, I'm working on my other podcasts. Uh, we are coming into season two soon. I'm very excited. Um, feeling pretty excited about it. Maybe I should right. just go create another podcast. I'll tell you this. I did. My big lose of the week was I was trying to charge my, my Tesla at home on a Tesla home charger. And, uh, and it kept tripping the circuit breaker. So I had to lower the, uh, lower the amps on the car to six amps after 48. So it would stop tripping the circuit breaker. I got to get on. I, I got like 10 alerts on my phone that charging was interrupted. Yeah. I'm and having some like, trouble with why it. Why is he driving at one in the morning? And then the other thing, while I was thinking about that, uh, Matt Farah, uh, our friend, opened up his collector's car showcase in uh, L.A. Mm-hmm. He's, just not, he's not sponsoring this episode. It's not why I name dropped him. But he went on Twitter and he asked uh, for recommendations on the best wall charger uh, so he could offer free charging to members of his car club. And it occurred to me, oh, my God, why isn't there a, a, a website that is credible agnostic honest with you know no bi- the transparency of any potential conflicts of interest unbiased about evs and i prayed that those shill maidens at uh <laughs> it's like a shield maiden vikings but some invest in stocks the shill, ma- the shill maidens at electric would not would not chime into uh matt uh matt Ferris feed but luckily someone dropped in there a number of people including john volker and others um, and said the wire cutter recommended the Siemens unit. And then I realized the Siemens unit was only $419, exactly um, $81 cheaper than the Tesla unit I got with less functionality. And that I'm an, <laughs> and that I'm an idiot. Can I express my shock that the Tesla unit doesn't cost four hundred and twenty dollars? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, so nineteen, and then with tax, it'll just go. So now it'll be, well, it'll be for twenty sixty nine. If I get exactly thrown out of this yeah. place, she uh, this nice. charge is useless unless someone else shows up with a Tesla. So, well, why don't you add the Siemens charger and then see which one works better, and then return the Tesla charger? Can't. What's the market for used Teslas? As you know, everything they make, just to pre- come on. All right, uh, let's wrap this up. interesting experiment. I think you should do it. Uh, I think we should wrap this up, and I'll happily begin by saying that you should follow me, Alex Roy 144 on all platforms, and sign up for my other podcast, which is called No Parking Podcast. Um, I'll leave by saying that Alex should send me this buy and send me the Siemens charger, which I can then hook up at my house and we'll, we'll do a compare and contrast. You can also follow me at Twitter and my DMs are open at Kirsten Korosek. Ooh, be careful there. Well, uh, I, I will say that um, if you guys need to find me online, I'm Damon underscore Corp on Twitter. Um, also, if you guys haven't checked out Jason Torchinsky's uh, reveal of a electric vehicle, that's designed for driver training. No, no, no. The one that's designed for driver training vehicles with the, with the, oh, clutch with the fake and, manual, and, and the fake manual transmission, the fake clutch and some kind of electronics that will jutter it. If you don't get the, 
it blows my mind. I desperately want to drive it. I desperately, desperately want to drive it. <laughs> well, I can be found on Twitter at Tweetermeyer. Uh, and my plug this week, uh, I'm being paid by Big Miso to uh, to hype up all things Miso related. <laughs> that is okay. Um, and if you if you combine about two parts red miso to one part garlic paste, um, and maybe a little bit of soy sauce and mirin, uh, you marinate some uh, some pork or some chicken in that uh overnight and uh throw it on a barbecue you'll have a really good time um and this message was was brought to you again by uh by big miso so thanks have you ever made miso butter i used to have miso butter in my fridge all the time it was so i also yeah yeah we don't have time for another hour guys so thanks for another episode of the atomic ass we'll talk to you soon miso bye miso (laughs) 